0: Let us pray. O God, who on this day taught the hearts of your faithful people by sending to them the light of your Holy Spirit, grant us by that same Spirit to have a right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his holy comfort. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. So... Some some years ago, many years ago, Becky and I were uh, traveling together on a plane, and in our world, that was different. Uh, we we still we don't do that. We in our in our whole lives, we have not done that a lot. Some of you people are very used to that. When I had this thought, what if the plane went down? Now that would be bad. So I wrote on a piece of paper some things, and we had our business at the time. I remember. I'm going, to, I'm going to orchestrate my leaving of things, including my business and my tools. I, I don't know what... Probably didn't have anything else on the list to, uh, to to direct anywhere. But I had... And I don't even know what I did about the business. Um, but I wrote something on a piece of paper and uh, left my... We were in Virginia and I left my tools to uh, my friend Mike Hill in that piece of paper. He doesn't get them now. <laughs> if you know him, don't tell him that. Uh, he he doesn't get it. He, he, he's not in there. But... Uh, that that day, I wrote these things down, put them in a drawer where it could be found, and, and then we left. Well, you know, since then I get on planes, I don't even think about it. Also, since then we have become a little more formalized. We actually have last wills and testaments and all that stuff, so we're, we're prepared. That's you know, and and Lord knows the way I the way I uh, drive and what have you. I may not make it home from here, so that I am prepared in this case. But this this uh, this thinking of leaving. Have you ever experienced leaving like loved ones? And and and, and not just good so sound financial advice, do you have your wills and testaments, uh, your last will and testaments ready? Um, but have you left in a more personal way? Have you left loved ones knowing or thinking perhaps you might not see them again, and so you had to or you were very conscientious of what you said as you left? I was at a Promise Keepers conference one time and they said this, this is why we kiss our wives goodbye. Because we might not see them again, I was like, "Oh, I did." I thought it was because we like to kiss, <laughs> and, and and we and we have family that when when they leave, and I'm a big hugger. I hug everybody all the time, but when that family leaves, they kiss on the lips. Hey, one of their little guys that uh, I was introduced to him as his cousin. With that, he was going to give me a kiss on the lips. I was like, "No, that's a that's a different part of the family," but <laughs> but. Um, but there's that, that kiss so that, so that if, if we never see each other again, we know we had that. Perhaps you haven't been on the side where you're leaving loved ones thinking that could be the last time. I recall I was living in Virginia, going to school in Charlotte, and I needed to get back to class, and Dad was in the hospital here, and he was in his last days, and I was leaving, and he, he, said, he said something to me, and I said, you'll be here when I get back. He said, how do you know that? And I, I said, I said, if you weren't going to be here, I wouldn't be leaving. So I, I, I left and I made it back and it was sometime well after that that he passed. But, uh, but perhaps you've been in that situation where you've received words from a loved one as they thought they wouldn't be seeing you again. Perhaps it was, perhaps it was walking through somebody in their death and what kind of words of comfort did they give you? To console you, as they, as they knew you would be here without them. That's what we're doing today. This is what Jesus did for his disciples. So they hung out together. For, and I, I often uh, refer to them as friends because they were they. Yes, they were his disciples. Yes, he was the teacher, and they were his pupils. But they were his friends. They would hung out together, lived life together in a real and intimate way for three years. And he's leaving, going back to the Father. And so on this day, he's going to, he's, he's, what we're covering in John is, he's, this is before the ascension, so he's still here talking to him, and he's promising the Spirit. So when he leaves them, this thing that he's leaving them, uh, and this is the setting, if you will, if that, if you've experienced that, that I described of last words, this is the kind of scene we're entering into. And so, um, we we recognize that this is prior to the ascension. We know that Christ, who uh, who died, he was crucified. He was buried. He rose again. We celebrated that at Easter. And it's 50 days. It's, as Greg was talking about, there's, there's 40 days to the ascension. There's a total of 50 days to the giving of the Spirit. And that's where we are in the calendar now. Uh, so, last year at... Uh, Pentecost. I w- Becky and I were in Rwanda, and I preached at the cathedral. And this is also known as the birthday of the church, because this, this is the day the church becomes the church because of the giving of the Holy Spirit. So I entered in, and I talked about birthdays. And is anybody celebrating a birthday today? Nobody. It, this fell flat. And, 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 you know, sometimes I have th- some things that fall flat. This was, this was the flattest I've ever had anything, and, and I understand, you know, you're in different culture, so there should be some things, if you have any sense about you, you're going to ask some questions, would this fly here? Why? Often wrong, never in doubt. I knew, I didn't ask anybody this. I knew, I knew that they, they would do this. Well, no, most of those people don't celebrate birthdays. They don't track them. They don't know if it was their birthday or not. They don't care, like we do. The younger people, it's coming along over there, but, you know, if I go back another 20 years, I might do that again, but... Uh, But it's the birth of the church. So, in these last words of Jesus, to give them comfort, he gives them promises. He gives them promises to cling to, and then he promises the Holy Spirit to comfort them. So, that's what we're looking at. So, in verse 8, there's a promise of revelation. So, look with me at verse 8. It says, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. So, Philip quickly gets to the heart of the question for all humanity, really. And he says, show us the Father. This being image bearers of God, this is what we desire. It's what all, and we in the church, we've got some idea about this. Sure, we would like to see God and know him more. But the reality is the way image bearers are made, that means all humans There's this longing to know the Father. You know, Romans 1 talks about how everybody knows that he exists. That's because that's the way he's wired them. He's wired them for worship, and he's wired them to know him. When your world is turned upside down, what would it be like to gaze upon the beauty and glory of our Heavenly Father? What is it, you know, what does he look like? What kind of love must there be in his presence? Moses in Exodus 33:18 said, "Please show me your glory." And you know the story I'm, I would imagine that the Lord allowed him to like get in the crevice of a rock and then the, the Lord would pass and his backside passed by where uh, Moses was. And so the glory of the Lord passed by him, but he wasn't allowed to see his face for the Lord says that no one can see my face and live. But here, look in verse 9, Jesus said to Philip, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on the account of the works themselves. How slow are you to believe Jesus? Jesus gently rebukes Philip here. Now, we are sometimes dismissive of the ignorance of the disciples, and and rightfully so, but they certainly knew more than the Pharisees or Sadducees, the scribes, the lawyers, because they had this intimate connection with Jesus. They had been with him. They had seen him do miracles. They have already, this is chapters ago, they recognized him as the promised Messiah. They confessed him as the promised Messiah. So they're not thoroughly ignorant. So Jesus is justified, as if I need to explain that. Jesus is justified in his Aggravation or frustration, like don't you get it yet? I'm at the end, and you 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 should get this by now. And of course, what he's proclaiming is the fact that he is God. And of course, as we've gone through in Luke, there have been many instances where he has actually proclaimed to be God. This thing when you you are talking with people, or if you're seeing social media, uh, and hopefully you don't see as many of those as I do. And I shouldn't see as many as I do. You see social media arguments, theological arguments, and people putting this out there and that out there. And then, you know, people can't even argue for like a paragraph intelligently, and then they move on to something else. So it's, it really goes nowhere. It's a poor way for arguments to go. But, but there's this thing where people will say that Jesus never claimed to be God. I'm like, have you read at all? He does this all the time. He's doing it again. And, he, and, he's, and he's frustrated because Philip, his friend doesn't see who he is at this point. But what about you? Do, do you continue to doubt the goodness, the faithfulness, the true love of God? Do you continue to doubt his promises because of the things of everyday life creep in and cloud our judgment? So we don't believe Jesus. And, and I'm not saying do you, you don't believe in Jesus, you know, not questioning salvation. Do you believe his promises? You have confidence in his word, or are we also slow to believe? Do you have friends who maybe you've been trying to build into, to, who, who you may have been trying to convince, or family members, that you're trying to show them Jesus, and they claim that there's still just not enough information, there's not enough evidence, and yet you have witnessed with them how the Lord has drawn them through all kinds of adversities and the Lord has been faithful to them though they don't even believe in him and they have been exposed to his truth. I run into this all the time and then I run into people who are frustrated with their situation in life but they haven't surrendered to him. They're not and and I'm not saying they're believers non-believers. These people would be claiming to be believing but they don't believe his promises because they don't submit to his promises. Jesus says, believe that the Father and I are one. When you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. He is very God of very God. And, what, and one of the things, and of course we've been going through that book of, of, about liturgy, but as we go through our bulletin, as we proclaim our faith through the words of Ni- the Nicene Creed, and we say, that he is very God of very God, this, it's, it's, it's in the liturgy that gets God's word into us. So that when we start doubting who he is, we remember some of the stuff that's in us. You know how that goes. There's stuff in you. Most of mine are Johnny Cash lyrics. So when you want to call something up, I can relate to a song well, that he sang. Yeah, I know, very bro- not very broad, it's just there. But the more liturgy we get into us, if we can recognize our, we are doubting him, or is, is he really who he says he is? He's very God of very God. He does, there, there's no mincing of words. He's not mincing words. He's not saying what if. He is saying that he is. He's saying if you don't see, if you don't recognize me as very God, then at least recognize the works because the works that I've done point to my divinity. Men can't do these things. So in the end, he gives a promise for further revelation. He's saying, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He's giving comfort by saying and and building our confidence in who he is in this further revelation. And then the next thing we see is that he gives a promise of fruit. Verse 12 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and the greater works than these will he do. Because I am going to the Father. Now, this is a a verse that's been abused and tortured to mean things that it has never intended to mean. If Jesus healed, we should then therefore be able to heal and be able to heal in greater ways. If Jesus would raise people from the dead, we should be able to raise people from the dead. If Jesus did miracles, we should do greater miracles. But no. That's not what it's saying. It's not what he's saying. The other problem we have, and there, so that there would be a, a side that would say all who believe are going to do greater things or have the ability to do greater things, and the other side would would def- to narrow it down to just that generation who he's speaking to. So must this be fulfilled in the very first generation? In that generation, who he whom he is leaving? Well. What do we do with this? Well, the Bible still tells us in the, in the Acts of the Apostles that there are healings, that there are things that Jesus did that these disciples, apostles, are doing, and, and it's similar. But it appears to me that what he's talking about when he's talking about greater is really it's greater in scope. It's not greater like in degree, so, for instance, the disciples never raised somebody from the dead who had been dead for four days, like Lazarus. So they didn't get, we're gonna do greater things, we're gonna raise this person who died and they've been dead for six days. That's, that's not in there. But, more in, more in scope. For instance, in this, uh, passage out of Acts, in, uh, Peter's sermon at Pentecost, it says that like 3,000 people were saved. The scriptures never record a passage where Jesus preached a, pa- a, a message, 3,000 souls were saved. Now, I find that interesting. So, it seems to me we can take him at his word that we will do greater things than he, meaning the collective comes together and he then is enabling us to do these works. And they have a greater reach. And we could easily say over the last 2,000 years that work has continued this happens precisely because because Jesus left here and went to the Father's side. With all that he accomplished, he gives the weary disciples a word of encouragement. He says, you can do it. I've set some things in motion and you will continue the work and it will grow. This is what he's saying. So he says, do not grow faint. You can do it. And the Lord Jesus says the same thing to you and to me. He says, take heart. Collectively, you'll accomplish greater things than I. You can do it. I think for weary disciples in Parkersburg, this becomes a very encouraging word. You can do it because I am there with you also. So after a promise of fruit, he has a promise to answer. Verse 13. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Well, finally, we find the magical verse. Here's the magical formula we've been looking for to accomplish all this that we want in our hearts. Do you need a new truck? Here's the, here's the magic formula to invoke. Do you need a well-disciplined children a child immediately? Right, right here's your verse. Do you need a raise? Here's your verse. Do you need a better boss? Here's your verse. Do you need to win a baseball game? Here's your verse. Do you need to pass a test or get an A on a test? Of course, without studying. Here's your verse. Because all you have to do is ask in his name. He's going to grant it. Now, you know that's not what that says. Oh, I missed one. Do you need to take authority over your sickness and cast it out? Now, this becomes serious business when we abuse God's word and try to make it say things that it doesn't say. I have a friend who And does anybody know that there was chapter 3 in Genesis and there was this thing called a fall and there's a curse put on all all of everything. It's all humanity, but it's the whole world. In chapter 8, which we read a piece of, the whole world is groaning for the day of redemption. We are groaning for a day of redemption. Do you recognize that ever since you've been born, you've been headed straight for death? Do any of you have great, great, great grandfathers still alive? No. Why? Well, because they died. None of us are getting out of here alive. Most of us are taken by some sort of sickness. It could be a car wreck. Is that better? That's not claiming your authority over. We abuse this verse a lot. I have a friend who has ailments of various natures. They are several and plentiful. And in that world where he lived, this, is, this would be called a word of faith movement or a prosperity gospel movement or a name it, claim it kind of thing. He lived in that world, and when he goes back, he's ridiculed of his lack of faith because he's still sick, and he gets sicker. That's an abuse of the scriptures, and now it's an abuse of my friend. So then he's like, I'm needing encouragement. So I tell him to come. We talk about grace, that we point him to the cross, that he would be welcome with a bunch of other sinners who are in need of grace. This this is the world in which we live. You have neighbors, you have friends who are going to, to places that are going to give this message. But the one who's receiving it ends up in despair because if they pray the prayer and they don't get their new truck or if they pray their prayer and they don't win the baseball game or if they pray the prayer and they don't have immediately obedient children overnight, it leads to despair because I asked in Jesus' name and I meant it. Well, then your problem is your lack of faith. You needed to dig deeper. This is the way it gets taught and caught and it's the way it's practiced. But let's take a look and see what the context of this verse is And why you can't just claim new vehicles and go drive them. The context of this verse demands that we interpret this verse in light of what's going on. Well, Jesus is bringing the kingdom to bear in the here and now on earth. That's what's going on. This is what he is preparing them for. He's he's talking about his works. He's talking about who he is. He's talking about where he's going. And then he's going to move into our works, and then he's telling you to ask, and then he's going to tell you about the Holy Spirit. This is sandwiched between these things. So, this he's talking about in that context of the fruit of the kingdom. So he says ask, but ask to what end? It's so that the Father will be glorified in the Son. How's the Father glorified in the Son when I pray my prayer and close it in Jesus' name and expect to drive away my new truck? I'm pretty sure that glorified Jim. And if you, if you got a new vehicle this week, I'm sorry. I'm not picking on you. You did fine. But that's not what we use this verse for. This is not how we abuse it. It's about, it's about fruit for the kingdom. And he's saying if we would pray, he'll answer. So you know what I think we should do? I think we should pray. I think we should pray today that God himself would work miracles in the number of children, kids, they could be called children, they're teens, who Kirk left with in the middle of the night, it wasn't even the middle of the night, the beginning of the night, like a 1, 1 a.m., wasn't it? So they're still on their way, 12-ish hours. They're not there yet. They're going to Lake Saranac in New York for Young Life Camp. We, so we want to enter in and we want to pray for those kids. We want to pray that the Lord would work in those kids. That he would reveal himself to them in the beauty and glory of that camp, of the nature that they're going to be around, in the way that they will be served and loved on by the Young Life staff, through the word being preached to them, through the relationships that they're going to have. I want us to pray for those very things. And then I want us to pray for us, that the kingdom would come to bear here in Parkersburg, here at Redeemer, as it is in heaven. He says, if you would ask... He will answer these things. Now, those, I think, if we're understanding that prayer in that way, in that context, I think we have confidence. I think we can have confidence that he's going to do what he said he would do. And then I want to say, At a boy, to you girls and boys who have been praying and praying and praying in that, in that way, we look around today and we see how the Lord has blessed us and the Lord has been answering our prayers, that those things are happening. And so we want to continue to pray and ask in his name directly to him, that he would be glorified, that the Father would be glorified in him because what he's doing in and through you here in this body. Okay, I get behind that. That, I think, is very exciting. And that is actually interpreting the scripture in the context it was given. So let's ask, bring your prayers, bring your requests, and he will answer. How's he going to do this? Why is he going to do this? How does he do this? Well, he gives us this promise of the Spirit. So in verse 15, he says, If you love me, You'll keep my commandments and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. I'm leaving. Don't worry. Don't fret. Don't don't get all anxious. Just obey my commandments. In my mom's last days, my sister and I were I would I was harassing my sister because that's what I do. And mom's, N- we're old. We're old people. Um, but mom, and we have kids of our own. Everybody's there. And mom says, "Y'all be nice to each other. You two are you. you the only people you were going to really have are each other." And I thought that was hilarious. And and then we, of course, then made fun of her for yelling at us as old people to tell us that, like we were six. But we were acting like we were six, so I guess we deserved it. But I thought it was interesting. And in the just now of the par- parallel between she's really saying, "Keep my commands. Do what." Do what I told you to do. You all be nice to each other. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands. You don't need to worry. You don't need to fret. You just keep my commands. Now, in this saying that, get, that he gave the commandments, he, again, is claiming to be God. But what's interesting here is this triune Godhead that works for your redemption. He says, I will ask the Father. I will ask the Father, and he will give. Then the Spirit will be with you forever. He doesn't say He's going to give you the Spirit, and then when you fail to obey a commandment properly, He's going to take that Spirit away. He says, I'll give you the Spirit, and the Spirit will be with you forever. And to that I say, Praise Jesus. The Spirit's going to guide and comfort you and enable you to keep these commandments. God the Son is going to intercede for us, God the Father is going to give the Spirit. Then God the Spirit works in us to equip us, to comfort us, to guide us, to encourage us so that we can keep his commandments, so that we can love one another, so that we can be agents of his in this world as we want to bear fruit for him. The Spirit is going to make that possible. This ultimately is... uh, 1 Corinthians 3.16, it's God the Son comes to live inside of every believer. All in 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, do you, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? This is the culminating verse of the church age of the covenant promise of God, which runs from all throughout Scripture, from beginning to end, which says, I shall be your God and you shall be my people. God the Spirit dwells among his people in the here and now. This is comfort in the absence of Jesus, in the absence of our friend. God of all creation calls you into relationship with him while you were happy in your sin. Do you you remember ever turning from your sin and to him? And perhaps you were raised in a, a, a In the faith, you were raised in a family. You really don't even recall such a turn. And let's pray that yours wasn't as dramatic as mine. Mine was a pretty significant turn. Well, in that, the Lord, I would still be running headlong for my sin because that's what I wanted, except the Lord, in his mercy, reaches down and turns me. And then when I come to faith, he indwells me. This verse says that the world does not know the Spirit, nor can the world even recognize him. He's not an it, it's a him. Why is that? Because we are either in the first Adam or the last Adam. Paul talks about that in Corinthians, he talks about it in Romans. We are either in Adam who fell in chapter 3 of Genesis, or we have been born again and believe and we are in the second Adam who is Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness and into the marvelous light. I love that. I love that. God, in his great mercy, when you did not deserve this, when you did not know him, reaches down and pulls you out of this miry bog and pulls you from the darkness and sets you into the light. It is beautiful. So to cap it off, The remainder of verse 17, he says, You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. It's a promise of privilege. Of the reading that Bert read, what the Spirit does is it makes us adopted as sons. It's a a promise of privilege. Those who are in the family of God have God, the Spirit, living in them, as we've read. It's also a word of comfort. And so I leave you with this word of comfort, the very words that Jesus left his. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray.